Hello and welcome to the Creative Lotus Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Zaki. He would always just say, Ian, your job is to get the job done. That repeats in my head all the time. I literally hear that on every single job that I do. And it's just one of those things that there is no excuse. Your job is to make sure you get the job done. Hello, and welcome to the Creative Lotus Podcast. On this week's episode, we have Ian Spanier, who is an amazing photographer. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. I appreciate being here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. So Ian, I know that, you know, we got to work together last year, I think it was, and that's how I kind of got to know you. But for everyone that's listening and watching, I'm just kind of curious uh, if you can give us some background on maybe where you're born and raised and ultimately kind of how did you get into photography? Sure. Uh, so I was born and raised in a very small town outside New York City called Hastings. It's uh, about 20 minutes north of the city, but it couldn't be smaller. <laughs> it was about two square miles, if I, I think that's wow. correct. So uh, graduating high school, public high school class of 64. So it was definitely small, uh, but I could see the city from <laughs> the Hudson River. So it was always kind of a piece of me. And then uh, I did end up going to school upstate New York and lived in the city every summer and then uh, previous 13 years following that, lived in New York City. Uh, so th that's where most of my experience comes from. Um, I think the, my story is really that I tried to not be a photographer uh, mm. my whole time. <laughs> I've had a camera since I was six years old. It's kind of always been around. I've always loved it and been into it. But um, I went to college thinking I was going to play soccer for four years and study sports medicine and become a trainer for a pro sports team. I had decided that sophomore year of high school and I was just really into sports and I was really into the rehab process, having had a lot of injuries myself. Oh. So I went to school thinking that's what I would do. I ended up only playing soccer for a year, mm. had a bunch of injuries, um, did spend a good amount of time in the training room, uh, helping others and working on myself. However, I quickly learned that between the demanding schedule of soccer and a very horrible uh, first-term freshman year schedule, there was no way I could make the grades in college unless I started taking some art classes to keep my grades up. I always draw, uh, did drawing and painting. So I took a drawing class, got an A, and I was like, hey, might as well do this every term. And we were on trimester. Mm -hmm. And photography just happened to be the spring trimester class. So I took that, got an A in that as well, and realized this is what I should be doing. By sophomore year, I was spending more time in the dark room, less time in the training room, and the decision was kind of made sort of for me. Hmm. Uh, that said, even after doing some internships in New York and um, then to even taking a 10-week term in New York working for two photographers, which is really my only assisting experience, yeah. I decided that I still didn't want to be a photographer, even though I was going to major in it uh, hmm. when I got back to school. And... I had done an internship at GQ magazine and loved it and basically was working in the photo department there. And I realized that maybe I'd be better looking at photographs and directing photographs as opposed to making them myself. Mm -hmm. So uh, during the rest of school and then immediately following school, I ended up becoming a photo editor uh, at GQ and then ultimately moving on to Esquire, ESPN, uh, Marie Claire, Men's Health, all, Us Weekly, all these titles, uh, all the kind of major magazines during the, the late 90s, early 2000s when uh, magazines were quite good. And mm -hmm. um, even with that, uh, didn't intend to shoot. But the first three weeks I was at GQ, uh, book review changed. And this is you know dating myself, obviously, but pre-digital. And we needed a book photographed uh, last minute. And there wasn't time to send it out. 
get it done and all that stuff. And I said, well, uh, I have a camera and I have a small flash. I, you know, I know what you guys do. You always have a little shadow past the book and mm. fan out the pages. I, I can do that at home. So I went home, bought a piece of paper, held up the flash in my hand, took the picture. And that started six and a half years of being a still life photographer. Wow. So, <laughs> um, that experience, uh, really just led to me, uh, realizing that I could utilize my photography experience in, a unique position because at the time there was only three photo editors who actually made pictures as well, which mm -hmm. was quite a shock to my system because my understanding was photo editors took pictures too. I had always studied Life Magazine and, and magazines like that. When I learned that that wasn't the case, I was like, wait a second, I can use this to my advantage. And I started in interviews saying, you can hire me as a photographer and a photo editor, and I can save you guys money, and here's how. And basically, the nice thing that really came from that was me learning not just the business side of the photography industry, but also being a photographer. And so that you know, spilled forward into my career when ultimately the last job I had, which was as a staff photographer for a media company, when they mm -hmm. went chapter 11, it kicked me out of the, the safety net uh, that I was in. And that's how I right. became a full-time photographer. Wow. Amazing. Thank you so much. That's so detailed. And yeah. I had no clue about your, your past. So that's really cool to know. And I feel like, so because you were doing both sides of it, you know, not only taking the photographs, but, you know, editing them and kind of putting together the, the stories and stuff for publications. Do you feel like that really influenced the way that your eye looks at commercial photography or the way that you shoot? Cause I mean, you were doing product and still life, but now your book is primarily, you know, people for the most part. So I'm curious kind of how did that uh, transition change, but then also kind of, yeah. How did you, how does your eye change, you know, from um, editorial sure. to where you're at now? Sure. So along that path, um, I would say that what sort of happened was that, uh, you know, I never had a passion for still life. I just understood how to light. And that was yeah. kind of really where it came from. And, um, you know, as people were paying me, I was like, oh, you know, I'll make this money on the side. It's kind of nice. And um, the, the influence of magazines was always there and is always there. I would say that. I still mm -hmm. think very editorially. I always think, um, what's the story? What's the job? Those are all big parts of it, which I know we're going to touch on that a little bit later as well. But really what um, I would say sort of happened was that as I got better and better as a photographer, um, I started branching out. So still life turned into travel. Travel turned into portraits. Um, people would ask me to shoot fashion from time to time. So it's sort of like I dipped a toe in all these different uh, pools. All along the way, people were like, no, 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 you have to concentrate on one thing. We got to put you in a box and decide this is what you're going to do. And I fought that my entire career. And I, would, uh, I, I recently was asked this question and I would tell the same story, which is basically that despite fighting that my whole career, this is sort of in the last few years, it's finally all come to fruition where all these experiences now gives my clients a sense of security. Uh, you and I worked on a job like this where I shot the still life and the celebrity portrait. And the reason that I'm comfortable with that and I can make my clients comfortable with that is that I have all these experiences in these you know various pools that I dip my toe in. Um, ultimately, I always believed, and this comes from the photography that I uh, 
always uh, admired and, and still do and still look back at more than anything else, which is the original masters of photography. If you look at Irving Penn, for example, right. he shoots everything. Yeah. And there's a reason for it because he's good at everything. And sure, there's things that I'm stronger at and there's things that I find, you know, I'm more drawn to. But at the end of the day, to me, it all comes down to lighting. And if you understand lighting, you can pretty much shoot anything. Yeah. Um, if you have some a modem of passion for it that you right. can, you know, pull out. So um, concentrated, there's nothing wrong with concentrating on one area. I just happen to be somebody that wants to concentrate on photography, not just one area. Um, So back to sort of your question on that, the influence of the magazine industry certainly uh, is in me. Um, More than anything, it helped me run a business. Mm. And it made me understand what my clients are up against when it comes to these jobs, the challenges that we face for budget reasons, deadlines, all those things. I'm very understanding of where these people are coming from because I lived that life. And so as a photographer, I think it made me better. It made me more marketable in certain ways because my clients know they can send me off to Timbuktu without an editor and I can get the story. And that's, that's my job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think I love the, what you just said about having the idea of always having a story that you're telling with your imagery, I think is really kind of necessary to make great images because, um, you know, nowadays with, you know, like you said, not to date yourself, but, you know, talking about film, you know, and it really was the only medium to shoot, uh, at the time, but now kind of being able to shoot, you know, thousands of images, if you want, you know, in a single job kind of takes away the creative eye. Um, you know, it's not just snap, 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 and boom, you know, I got one in the thousands, but rather, you know, you really know what you're doing in, in creating that story. Um, so I always like to ask uh, each uh, creative that I have on here, kind of what uh, what struggles have you had to go through? I mean, I kind of you kind of shared already, you know, going from sports and then finding kind of the arts and going into that. But um, for your career, kind of what personal struggles have you had to go through that you felt maybe kind of propelled you actually and the success of your photography career this far? Well, the one I sort of brought up already, which is essentially that that especially in New York, I found it. And this obviously I lived there at the time, but um, the idea that you have to be in a box, uh, mm-hmm. I think that has been my biggest challenge and trying to get uh, new clients and potential clients to understand when they were looking at my work that just because I can shoot fitness, I can also shoot a celebrity portrait. And right. it again, it comes down to lighting but getting people to connect those dots for whatever reason was always very difficult um, up until the last few years, I would say. And then in the last uh, several years, I would say what sort of clicked, I think, is that the message that I was putting out there, I sort of focused my website a bit more. I started moving away some of the things that might distract from what I deemed as, you know, the the area that I should be working in right now. And mm-hmm. I do pay very much attention to the market. When the travel industry dried up, I sort of moved away from it, focused more on portraits, worked yeah. my portrait game, that kind of thing. But um, more than anything, I would say that at this point, it's that there's a cohesive message that comes, I would argue, through my work, which is essentially that if you look from one spectrum to the other of the subject matter, the tie-in is lighting. And as lighting Mm. is um, 
and somebody once said this to me, which was great, which was, you know, which is really the thing that made it click in my head that I'm doing the right thing, which is essentially that, you know, even though you shoot soft style or dark and moody, you can tell it's the same guy. It's the same mm. message being sent and the same vision is being put forth. Right. And it's a guy who understands lighting. So mm. I took that ball and I ran with it because basically to me, that's like, okay, so that's going to be my story. So when somebody asks me, what do you do? And I say, well, I like, I like people and I, and I make portraits and this is how I do it. I've also sort of taken on the idea that I don't care if it's a, a cup of coffee or a celebrity or a fitness athlete or a business person in front of me, it's still the subject mm. and it's about lighting the subject and telling the story of the day. What's the product that I'm getting across here? What story do I need to help uh, elude from this image that the viewer who's not being told what it is, is going to feel something, um, hopefully, uh, what the client needs. And that's, that's really the goal at this point, going from that sort of magazine to more commercial work, which is really where I'm in now, uh, you know, marketing, advertising type stuff where you're, you're really selling a product. Uh, but even looking back to what we talked about with magazines, um, magazines are a product too. And the reason I was able to work at GQ and Marie Claire, even though they're both in the fashion world, uh, I, I'm a straight guy from you know New York. I, you know what do I know about Marie Claire? <laughs> Not very much, <laughs> you know. So, uh, but the reason I, I I think I succeeded for I mean I worked there for three years. The reason I succeeded as a photo director there was really the fact that I understood the product. I could look at the magazine and understand the product. So, yeah. transferring that same mentality into being the photographer who's actually pushing the button, I actually find it easier. Uh, because now I'm not having to convey it to a third party. I'm just conveying it to myself. So when you know a client calls me and says, this is the product, I think we did black box wine. So when black box wine calls me, I, I know that I can relate to the product, whether I drink wine or not, whether you've tasted their wine or not. I know I can right. relate to it because that's the product. Now I understand that's the product. And then I start to, you know, formulating how I'm going to sell that with lighting. Yeah. Absolutely. Lighting is everything. I think that's one of the most crucial things people need to understand in photography is, yeah, lighting is everything because it will change an image from, like you said, doing a dramatic portrait to, you know, the cover of a, you know, a Marie Claire magazine or something like that. So absolutely. Um, you know, the name of this podcast is uh, called The Creative Lotus. And the idea behind it is that the lotus, you know, both blooms and seeds at the same time. So it's very much like this cause and effect concept. So I ask each uh, creative, you know, kind of what do you consider to be your like lotus blossom kind of moment? Like what was the the shit or the muck underneath uh, that ultimately led to your kind of career blooming uh, in the way that it has today? Interesting. I think it's the uh, the Shawshank Redemption <laughs> analogy of uh, miles of shit <laughs> to get to the end. Um, I would I would sort of look at it that way. Honestly, I really feel like um, the hustle was from day one convincing people that I could do what I do, mm -hmm. and I faced those challenges even as a photo editor. People were like, "You can't be a photo editor who takes pictures. Mm -hmm. Nobody does that." And of course, the, the world changed. And then we got to a place where um, all photo editors were sort of photographers in one form or fashion, and a lot wow. are today. But like I said, when I was there, there was three, and that mm -hmm. was it. And that's across the country. And I knew all, <laughs> all of us. And it, you know, I called them for advice saying, how, you know, how do you do this? And yeah. um, 
I think, you know, those are the things I think what sort of happened, uh, certainly in New York was, um, and I, I still sort of feel this about my work today, which is like, you either get me or you don't. It's, it's very 50, 50, I think. And, yeah. um, it's one of those things where some photo editors looked at it as, wow, he knows what I do. This is fantastic. I can send him off to a job and he's not going to call me up and say, you know, the electricity went out and what do we do? Or it's snowing and it was supposed to be sunny out. What do we do? Cause that does happen as yeah. a photo editor. You get that call from photographers, especially less experienced photographers. Um, but on the flip side, there was photo editors who were threatened by the fact that I knew what they do. And they straight up wouldn't hire me because they felt like some job security issue with mm. that. I understand what they do. So they're now threatened by the fact that I do that and I push the button. So, wow. uh, you know, and there's nothing I could do about that. That was right. the early challenge. And then add to that the challenge that I was shooting all these different subject matters and trying to convince people with the portfolio that had everything from A to Z and say, I can do all of this. And people would say, well, that's not a clear message. And agents and reps would say, well, you need to focus your work for us to be able to sell you. Otherwise, we can't you know, work together kind of a thing. Mm. Um, and years and years of just persevering upstream, I think, is really just finally paid off to this point where uh, now there's an appreciation for it. And when somebody calls me, again, going back to the job you and I did, um, where they say, well, listen, here's the, you know, we're hiring you to shoot the celebrity. But here's the challenge. We also need to do product shots. Can you do that? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I can. <laughs> you know, and so now it's sort of working. Yeah. No, that's that's amazing. I think, you know, the the greatest thing that I kind of learned from you and, you know, when we were talking and everything not on set between our, our long spans of time while they were shooting the commercial side of things uh, and before you were able to shoot stills um, yeah. is that you have such a drive and kind of talking about hustle. Um, you know, you're probably one of the only photographers I personally know uh, that has a lot of really great brands, uh, you know, affiliates um, with kind of different brands specifically. And so I find that to be incredible kind of where did you or kind of where did that um concept or idea kind of come from and how did you kind of go about doing that you know because you have westcott and you have like Sakonic and you know these big brands that are well known in the industry um and you know to be kind of their the face of and also educator um for some of them is quite incredible so if you i'd love to kind of know more about that thank you yeah um that's sort of it started years ago in, in some form but uh really the pandemic led to a lot of things because mm. I just can't sit idle. I can't sit still. So not only did I work on a personal project throughout the entire quarantine, um, which presented its own challenges, but also opened up a lot of doors and it actually led to me working during the pandemic, uh, which I, I know is unusual. Um, but really I, I started to go after um, clientele through ambassador programs because mm. I realized that, okay, here I am on Instagram all the time. I should be doing something with this. And so I started reaching out to the brands. And mind you, I only work with brands that I actually utilize. I don't right. represent anything that I don't use myself. And I've I've had to turn down some people for their products don't actually help me do my job. But I love right. the products uh, that do. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, Westcott, as you mentioned, which uh, absolutely love their products. Um, you know, the spider holster even, which is like, you know, just a, a camera support system with a, a hand grip and a little uh, belt and uh, harness system that allows you to, you know, be hands-free very without putting your camera down on a table and mm -hmm. things like that. 
those products to me like make my job easier. So I love talking about those things. Um, even the t-shirts I wear, it comes from a specific company because I realize that I could, you know, I can represent these people with, you know, the audience that I'm trying to build on, on Instagram and mm -hmm. other, you know, social media, but also that these are real things that I use. So, uh, sort of, you know, it's not really hawking products. It's more so representing products that I actually use. And then in the, uh, education aspect, do uh, speaking engagements and um, something I never planned to do. I actually hate being on camera <laughs> and would prefer to always be behind it. But um, mm. uh, somebody asked me to speak, you know, at one event and it went well. And um, a bag company came up to me right afterwards and said, would you use our bags? And I was like, okay, this kind of works. And mm. uh, I realized the value of it. And I love sharing the stories about my journey as a photographer. So, um, if that helps young photographers and, and, you know, if you've ever heard me speak, I preach about the importance of using a light meter so much that, you know, it, it is something that I would love for young photographers to understand that the, the true way to do lighting and the true way to understand, uh, lighting so that we're all better because if yeah. we're all better, it just only pushes the, the, you know, community up and makes us, um, shine. If I'm sure you remember the, the sort of influencer movement that happened, a lot of us sort of, you know, quote unquote, pure photographers were looking at this and, and gagging because we were starting to say, well, if this lasts, this pushes people who actually know what they're doing out of the industry. And that's a bad thing. And so yeah. for me to share my knowledge with people, I, I'm all for it. You know, I'm, I'm an open book, as I always say, to, to these uh, educational classes. Yeah. I will say you are very good on camera. I've watched the behind the scenes as well as kind of your educational videos yeah, <laughs> on YouTube. So yeah, yeah, no, uh, no shame there by any means. Um, no, I think that's, that's really great. I think, yeah, talking about the fact that, you know, this wave of influencer kind of culture, but also, you know, industry kind of shift, if you will, um, has been kind of, um, a lightning change. And, uh, you actually are really great at adapting to it, I think, uh, because to your point that you just made, a lot of photographers aren't, you know, and haven't really been able to, uh, make that switch, you know, making reels and doing, you know, content that is video based, but also photo based and, you know, showing more behind the scenes and kind of representing yourself in that way. Um, and I think you talked to a really, a point, uh, a really good point rather that is, you know, each of us, even though we're a photographer, you know, we're also a brand, you know, who you are and what you represent. And like you said, the stuff that you use um, and work with, you know, is a representation of yourself, which like you said, you're not hawking, you know, a bunch of stuff, but rather you're just, you know, sharing what you like and what you use. And therefore, uh, you know, people, you recommend it to people, if you will. So it's amazing. Um, my next question is kind of, and we didn't really talk about this already, which is when did you come out to LA? Cause that's obviously how we met, but you know, coming from New York originally, like when was your, the great hall across the States <laughs> to the West coast? Sure. Well, I've done it twice now. Oh, wow. <laughs> first okay. time was, uh, it, yeah, it was first time was, um, uh, 20 years ago actually. And I absolutely hated it. I, I didn't even last two years. I'd come from New York city. I was used to subways and taxis and walking everywhere. And so the whole car culture thing was quite a shock to my system. Mm. And, uh, I was still a staff member, um, of magazines at that time. So I was working in Woodland Hills at a, at a fitness magazine. So I was driving from West Hollywood to, to um, Woodland Hills every day, and it was it was actually killing me. And so uh, I went back pretty quickly, didn't like it. Um, and then in like mid-2014, um, 
I was out here a decent amount for, for four clients that I was shooting for quite a bit and really found that I was up for a change. I had gone through uh, two hurricanes and I was living just outside mm-hmm. the city and the second hurricane decimated the town that I lived in. Wow. Um, and I was basically like, I, I need a change. I, I've had enough with winter. I'm cold all the time. Like I need a change. So since I was out here, I started really looking into it and then ultimately made the move. And, uh, as luck would have it, uh, three out of the four clients went out of business and the fourth one went, uh, to Vegas full-time in-house with a photography <laughs> wow. uh, staff member. So, um, it was kind of like I had to start over. Uh, I still sort of, I would say 2015 was a good year because I still had a lot of my New York clients and I was going, I think I went back like 10 times that year plus mm-hmm. travel to other places for those same clients. But then as 2016 rolled in, it was, um, that distance started to have its effect. And that's really where I would kind of say I had to sort of start over Hmm. and build new clients out here. And that's, you know, again, that comes down to that hustle. I really started pushing at that point. And, uh, I'm thankful that the pandemic waited a few years because if it had happened at that time, that might've pushed me out. Um, Hmm. but, um, it, it was definitely a struggle, uh, for a couple of years there. And I still was holding on to a couple of clients in New York, which I think kept me afloating. And then um, ultimately, I was able to sort of build a business out here. And you know, you want to talk about hustle. This this is where it comes down to. Uh, what I saw in the market was that agents were less important. No offense to agents. Um, <laughs> producers yeah. were becoming more important. Right. And so I started really working the phones and I started to to really touch base with a lot more producers and get them to know who I was, Hmm. whether they wanted to work with me or not, that was less important to me. I just needed them to know who I was and that I'm in town. This is where I live. This is where I work. Right. Uh, The other area that I really started to push, um, which is, you know, the hardest of areas, I'm sure, you know, uh, you know, I would argue that probably the same eight people shoot all the big stuff out here. And so being one of those, uh, select few is really difficult. And the writing on the wall that I sort of sussed out was that I needed to know more PR people. Mm. So, um, the ones who represent the celebrities. So again, just made a major push to get in with those people more and more and more and get to a point where I was a household name. And again, the, the proofs in the pudding in the last, you know, particularly the last two years, uh, when I've gotten calls from celebrity magazines to shoot a portrait, they would say things like it's between you and two other people that kind of, you know, we're all used to that sort of commentary. Um, but because these PR people, I think more now, now know who I am, Mm -hmm. I get yes very quickly. And that's huge. Um, I'm sure you just saw the other day that I posted, you know, the shoot with Brendan Fraser that only happened because of that work from 20, 2017 to 2023. Mm-hmm. So that it, I, I would fully credit that to the hustle and the PR people at least saying, Oh, his name sounds familiar. Even if, even if that's it, I'll take it because yeah. I think that's very important in this town. You know, it's a different market than New York for sure. Um, so yeah, it, it's, that's sort of that transition. And I will tell you that I love California except for the rain, but <laughs> that we're having right now, but yeah. Uh, I love the weather out here, and I think I underappreciated it that twenty, you know, twenty years ago when I came out uh, initially, and and didn't value it enough to how uh, critical it is to to being happy and uh, having the lifestyle that I like and all mm. those aspects. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's so, it's so weird. And, um, Congrats, first and foremost, yeah, on the Brendan Fraser backstage, and now he's Oscar winner, oh, Brendan Fraser as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think thank that you. the the connections out here are so so crucial. I mean, that's um, I know I saw your comment actually on a photo editor, uh, you know, Rob Haggart on uh, Instagram, you know, had kind of put out there this new. Uh, question to photographers really kind of like how do you promote yourself you know and, and do you, what do you think is worthwhile and whatever and yeah I, I do think that so much of it is word of mouth and people your reputation you know people knowing who you are to hire you is what's so crucial so I'm curious kind of what uh, has been your greatest weakness as a photographer but when you see that weakness how do you kind of shift that or change that in the moment as a photographer or as a business person either or I mean yeah either work <laughs> Because it's kind of okay. too insane. Yeah. <laughs> tied it. Uh, yeah, tied in a bit. I would probably say that the 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 most difficult challenge that I have is that, you know, I'm not a big partier. I, I don't really network in the way that I probably should or did back when I was in New York. Mm. Of course, being in New York, it's a different game. You know, um, all the parties were there. Uh, American photography, all those, you know, uh, uh, the photography annual, uh, I don't even know if that's yeah. around anymore, but, um, those parties were, were like, I loved going there because when I was a photo editor, the photographers all knew me and they all wanted work for me. Right. And when I became a photographer, uh, the photo editors were the ones I wanted to network with and mingle with. So, you know, I obviously have a good number of friends in the, in the magazine industry from years of being there, but uh, that was very easy to me. LA, as I'm sure you know, is very spread out. And, mm -hmm. you know, I live north of the city. I don't love having to do that drive if I'm not getting paid. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, the effort sometimes gets out outweighed by the uh, desire. Um, you know, so it's a tougher thing. And then of course, throw in a, a pandemic and a quarantine and all those things. And then it became almost impossible. And the biggest challenge I would say that I've had since living here this time is really just meeting people. Mm. And I found that, you know, over the years, those networking events turned into photography bitch sessions, which I have zero interest in that. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't want to sit there and, and, you know, wallow in that shit that I've been in for years. So it's, you know, I'd rather uh, be in a positive space. And so that I think is the harder thing. And um, if you want to put a, a finger on the thing that challenges me the most, it's that I'm never satisfied. So I am not mm -hmm. satisfied with where I'm at right now. And um, as good as it's been the last few years in particular, uh, I know I'm capable of more. And it frustrates the hell out of me that I'm not there yet. And so, the, you know, you could put the positive spin on it and say that there's always more to be striving for. Um, but the negative spin on that is, is, I think all artists, we all sort of suffer that self-doubt and that uh, belief that we can't make it the way we want to. I sort of, you know, liken it to the the glass ceiling and I've been banging this, you know, my face up against that glass ceiling for a number of years to not being satisfied. Uh, you know, if you ask my parents, they think that I helped Brendan Fraser win the Oscar. I mean, it's, it's all perspective, of course. So, yes. <laughs> you know, but um, it, it is one of those things. I know that I could be doing more and, mm. um, I feel like there are times where I've proven it, but the result doesn't happen quickly. And mm. 
I'm so eager to, for it to happen now. So that that I would say is probably my biggest weakness is that I just want more all the time and I want that satisfaction now. <laughs> and the patience is not really there for me. So it does drive me, but at the same time, uh, you know, I truly believe that that I should already be doing some of the stuff that I would like to be doing. Mm, yeah. No, that's so relatable. I think as an artist, yeah, and you know, business person as well, it is definitely something that we're all trying to strive more towards is the things that you want and the things that you think that you should be able to do, you know, but then it's a matter of like, you know, making them happen is a whole nother thing, like you said, in the in the time frame that you want it done. So has there been a kind of a moment where you felt like you quote unquote made it? Um, or something a real big highlight of your career uh that you really had been working for so long, you know, kind of going along the same guidelines of what you were just saying is kind of there was a moment where you're like, damn it, I finally, you know, made this thing happen that I've really been dreaming of. I think, you know, not to be negative on it, but when I first got out here, the very first job that I did was a billboard on Sunset. And wow. it was 35 feet long and it, um, I retouched it as well. So I literally did everything from A to Z on that job. It was mm -hmm. right above the pink dot, right in the middle of Sunset. And you sort of think as a photographer, well, I've got a billboard on Sunset, you know, amongst the, the giants of the industry right now, you know, with like the, the big networks like HBO and Netflix and all that. And I'm yeah. sitting right in that, that pond, right with those guys. Uh, and then that, you know, that client disappeared on me and, and mm. they changed staff. And it, again, this was that sort of bad luck period where um, literally nothing I could do. These were all things that were outside my control. Right. Uh, but I sort of would have thought that that would have been the regular after that, you know? Yeah. And, um, that said, I'm also sort of, uh, I don't know if you want to call it humble or negative, <laughs> somewhere in between the two. Uh, I mean, I have had, you know, my work, uh, City National Bank has been a client of mine for the last, you know, four plus years. Mm -hmm. And they're right at the end of sunset. And my images fill the entire bank uh, facade of the bank. There's, you know, surrounding the building. That's been up there for the last three years. And so, Technically, I'm still on sunset, but I look at it and saying, well, I should be the one up on that, you know, the WeHo London <laughs> on the side mm. of the building and the things like yeah. that, where, um, you know, some of those goals that I set for myself have yet to be reached. Um, but again, I don't, I don't look at those. Um, well, I should say it this way. There's something I talk about a lot with being on set and how we all face challenges on set, right? Yeah computer breaks, a light goes down, camera sticks, whatever the case is. Some people call those problems. I call them challenges. And the reason I call them challenges is because I look at it as a sense of things that we can overcome. It's a lot easier to overcome a challenge than it is to overcome a problem in my mind. Yeah. That said, I sort of look at that with my career in the same way, that this only presents a challenge to me and I love challenges. So I look at it from the perspective that, no, I'm not yet exactly where I want to be but it's not a problem. It's a challenge. And I'll take that challenge on. That's a huge mindset shift to, yeah, from a problem to uh, a challenge and being able to kind of, you know, shift that very quickly, like you said, on set or in life in general, you know, and, and kind of change it. Um, I'm curious, you know, you've had kind of this uh, very illustrious career in the photography industry and world. Um, have you had an agent? Do you want an agent? Have you kind of what's your um, or rep, I should say more in, in the photo uh, world, but kind of how has 
Um, how have you navigated kind of, because you're doing commercial jobs, usually like having a rep or someone, an agent represent you, uh, has kind of been the way for so many photographers. So I'm curious what your experience has been like. So I've had about six agents over the years, uh, or reps, as you say, um, and quite honestly, none of them have worked. Um, mm. I, I don't know why. It's just never been a great relationship for me. I've always gotten the work myself. I've given a lot of money to those reps over the years and um, not really been satisfied with the, the return on the investment of it. Right. Uh, I'm open to it, but it's got to be the right relationship. Uh, you know, one thing I really learned through that experience was that it, it's just like dating. You know, you're really courting each other, you know, for a period of time, you get to know each other and you get to understand each other's, you know, quirks and, and ideas and all those things. And then from there, it's, it's got to be a, a very, good relationship. And if it's not good, it's not going to succeed. And, um, so I'm definitely open to the idea of it again, but mm -hmm. I do believe that agents unfortunately have sort of been pushed aside, um, the last few years. And so they're, they're less critical in the mix. People have less time. They have less desire to have a go between, um, yeah. various reasons that said on the commercial jobs where, uh, it's necessary, which, you know, I'm pretty good at sussing out very quickly. Uh, there has to be a go between, I, I don't want to be discussing, um, you know, nickels and dimes, uh, for a job when I got to stand on set with that same creative director or, um, art director. Yeah. So in those cases, what I've been doing over the last few years is working with a producer, uh, that producer will be my agent for that job. Um, it gives right. them a little bit of extra money. And it also makes that buffer that's necessary. Um, I think you kind of saw how I work. I'm, I'm, I'm a hands-on guy. I, I like to be in the mud with everybody else. But that said, there's an area that you really can use um, that buffer. And it's super important to recognize those situations so that you are not the photographer and the, the person arguing about uh, money, particularly when budgets are tight. And you know you need something and the client's pushing back and saying, we, we just don't have it. Because they always have it when they say we just don't have it. There's always a way to do that. Um, and, and, you know, I'm a pretty tight ship. I don't really, you know, use a lot of equipment. I don't really need a lot of staff. I'm very basic in that way. But at the same time, um, the importance of that producer or agent in, in some cases, I think, is is critical to the success of a job. No, it is. It, there is a definitely a shift in the industry right now. I think you, you make a very valid point that, um, so many photographers are being found online or in, through their websites, but social media as well. And yeah, the ability to get a job, you know, as a photographer is not necessarily have to go, you know, and, you know, deal with it. But yeah, having a, a third party, if you will, involved in those projects, I think is crucial because we're talking big budgets, not, you know, oh yeah, here's a few hundred bucks or a thousand dollars even, you know, it's like tens of thousands, if not more. So yeah, I mean, for, you know, magazine assignments, so not necessary, but yeah. you know, there was a time and period where, where it did, it, it didn't was necessary. I mean, when, you know, in the, in the early two thousands, when photographers were so busy, uh, that agent, was really booking the job because the photographer was off doing so much other stuff that yeah. they could focus on their photography and the agent was really there to help produce the shoot and have the photographer show up. And, you know, you might, when I was doing the photo directing, 
you know, it might be 10 conversations with an agent and one conversation with the photographer. And that was it. Uh, I don't think that's the case now. I mean, I do jobs for magazines now. There's, there's nobody else there, but me, (laughs) that's, that's kind of the norm on a lot of these jobs. Yeah. Definitely a big change. Lots of, <laughs> lots of things have shifted in the last yeah, 10 plus years. I'm curious, kind of what has, what brings you the most happiness now uh, versus maybe when you first got into the industry and were working it, as a photo editor and photo director um, in the industry? I mean, that's a huge kind of shift and lots of things have changed, but um, yeah, curious. I think the shift was really with, within me. I, I think the photo editing, like I said, you know, in college, I, I sort of made that decision that I, you know, I lived in a house with like 30 guys. I was like, I don't need to do that in Brooklyn. <laughs> I, I want to live, you know, nicer in New York. And I, I saw the other side and I knew what I wanted at that time. So that was sort of pushed, helped push that decision, you know, in that case. And I loved editing for a period of time. I loved the, the stature of being with magazines and, um, you know, dropping the business card to get into the clubs and all that stuff back in the day. That was all very nice and good. You know, there was a certain respect to photo editors then. I don't know if that respect is still there. I think mm-hmm. creative directors sort of took over as the deciders. Um, uh, again, I studied the old school, you know, the, the the photo editors who really impacted the look of a magazine because they had a say and they had a direct connection with the photographers in order to create these iconic magazines, you know, in the 90s and 2000s. I think that shifted. And creative directors sort of took over that role. They didn't just design the magazines. They started dictating the art space as well. Hmm. Um, I think the joy at this point really comes from working for myself. I think I, as I got further along in my career as a photo editor, uh, I, I hated working for other people. I just really found the frustrations of the red tape and the, the office politics and all those aspects. I hated being at the desk when there was nothing to do and you know, I knew I could be doing better things than sitting at the desk. I, I sort of used to tell people, particularly towards the end of my uh, 13 years as a photo editor, uh, I work from 10 to 6. If I need to stay here late, I'll stay here late. The only, you know, only once in a blue moon, if my, you know, if there's a job in LA and I'm in New York and I got to talk to the person after six o'clock, otherwise the job's getting done and you don't have to worry about it. I don't need to sit here all day and do this thing. And it was more for my own mental you know, clarity, because it was really just one of those things where it's an incredible amount of wasted time. Having meetings about having a meeting and things like that um, drove me nuts, you know. And as a photographer, uh, you set your own schedule, obviously, and, you know, you work the way you want to work. You do the things in your life that make you happy as well as the career. Um, I do spend a lot of time. uh, It is a 24-7 job in my mind at all times. There are no days off. I mean, I work weekends. I work nights. I work early mornings. All those things are there. But I also know that, you know, if I really need a day off, then you take the day off. You go snowboarding. You go play golf. You do what you got to do. And um, that's the beauty of the freelance, you know, situation, which you're all too familiar, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. No, totally. What do you do kind of, I mean, you kind of mentioned two things there, but uh, because you are freelance, kind of what do you do for fun? Like what, what do you, how do you kind of just like let yourself go uh, completely away from like industry stuff and really just kind of let yourself be free, whether that's a weekly basis or maybe you, it's, you know, going on a vacation, I don't know, whatever suits you. (laughs) Uh, I'm definitely a workaholic. I mean, I I definitely, even when I'm 
off doing something uh, non-work related, I often am thinking of work or sometimes I'll schedule, you know, my email promos for the day that I go to play golf so that I know at least something is going on in the background, things like that. Um, I I do love sports still, so I still play sports quite a bit. Um, I work out all the time and um, motorcycle, um, hiking, you know, enjoying the outside lifestyle here for sure. Uh, snowboarding, as, as you mentioned. Uh, I've been doing a bit more travel lately. I did travel a ton. I used to be on staff with the travel magazine. So during that period of time, I, I hit you know uh, 49 of the 50 states at one point and wow. um, 62 countries, something like that. So it, it, there was quite a bit of travel in my past and I still love traveling when I can. Uh, but I think you know at this point, um, the job is always in my mind. And mm. so I love it. So it doesn't bother me that that's part of it. It's it's not like back in the day when you just can't stand your boss anymore. I'm my own boss, so you know i i really I really enjoy shooting, and so I do a lot of personal work. Um, I always believe that that it's super important to have a personal project going, even if just you know here and there, uh, not necessarily a cohesive package, but um, just doing personal shoots. I think it's super important. It gives you an opportunity to test out things that you're, you'd like to apply to a job. And then usually I, I have like a personal project that I'm working on something bigger. And, you know, I finished one uh, just this past, um, you know, winter, basically uh, that took three years. So it's, you know, those are the things that I do. And, and it's, um, that's fun to me, <laughs> as weird as it sounds that it's work, but it's fun because it's not dictated by somebody else. So it's still on my time. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I mean, you just tapped into, while talking about all the things that you like to do for fun, you also tapped into kind of a few questions that I had. Uh, I was checking out your personal work um, and I think it is 100% agree with you. I think it is so crucial to have kind of uh, your creative mind kind of constantly creating new and you know innovative things uh, that you want to do that you're not necessarily assigned to do. Um, but I'm curious, kind of, you do ride motorcycles. So this moto project I thought was really cool because it's so simple, but uh, really kind of detail oriented. And then uh, I know you have uh, this pen-inspired uh, portfolio on your site, uh, which I will definitely link all of your information to. But um, I'm kind of curious, you know, how do you, you know, come up with these ideas? Because, like you said, you are kind of a a photographer who does so many different genres, if you will, of photography. But uh, how do you kind of keep track of it all and you know and work on these projects? Like you said, the one that you just finished, you know, took three years to do, uh, but you're now just kind of coming to completion. So. Um, seems like you have a lot going on. <laughs> well, yes and no. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things where um, if you have a passion for it, it it's not work, you know. And it's yeah. um, in the case of the personal work, I feel like it's those are the the testing grounds that, like I mentioned, that are so critical to having um, again those solutions when you're on set and something may not be exactly right for the client. Now I have another way I can present that possible to, to you know solve the issue of the day um the motorcycle project which you know i did call moto uh i actually did not ride motorcycle before, when i started it i i always wanted to and i i talked about it a ton with a lot of my subjects but um i ultimately took the class uh last year so i've only been riding for a year but i absolutely love it um but that was uh, started two days before the pandemic and i really was trying to push myself to do something slightly different than what I normally do, shooting at a, a bigger depth of field, using a little bit more equipment than I normally would use. And then mm-hmm. adding to that, all of that was shot except for one day 
in my living room and turning my living room into a white studio. And, and the idea was, I'm going to show that I can do this on location because I was doing it in part for other people um, mm-hmm. with the challenges of, you know, different ceiling heights and all the other things, not enough space to really move back, um, you know, the way I should, <laughs> technically mm-hmm. speaking. Um, and I just really liked the different look um, enough that I said, okay, uh, this is something I want to continue. And then the, you know, the quarantine hit. And so it took five weeks until I could open up again, but ultimately, which, you know, uh, we sort of touched on earlier. Uh, the reason I was able to keep working during the pandemic was that I showed a client what I was doing and with uh cam ranger, which is a product that I use that allows you to shoot a raw file plus a JPEG. And that JPEG goes to either a tablet or computer or an, an iPhone for your client to see, there's a way to dual band it where I could be on this podcast with you and share my screen and you could actually see in real time all the images coming out of my camera and reacting mm-hmm. to them, talking to me, talking to the model. So I ended up showing somebody that's what I was doing, uh, one of my subjects, and mm-hmm. she was talking to her agent about it. And she, she's a model and a motorcycle rider. And um, her agent pitched me to a client of hers that needed some clothing shot for a new catalog out of Phoenix. But obviously we couldn't travel. We couldn't do anything. You know, the model thing was going to be an issue. Right. We, I said, well, I have a solution for that right here. I can shoot the models here. We, I actually took a COVID compliance course so that I would understand what the COVID thing would be. I didn't plan to be an officer, but I got the certification so I'd understand it. Right. And I scheduled the models in, in increments where there would be a half hour break that I could wipe down all the surfaces and everything. And my client sat in her living room in Phoenix and watched the shoot live at the same time, seeing the images pop up so she could give reactions, make suggestions to the models on what she wanted. Um, so I was able to keep working. And then I just, I, once that happened once I was like, all right, now we can do this. And I started using that for some of my celebrity clients. Um, and you know, really, not stopping. Yes, it was a lot slower out here. Hollywood was shut down. So it really kind of put a big crink in the, in the business that year, but things picked up right afterwards and people knew that I had something going on that would allow me to shoot remotely and do some things that were a little bit unique and um, clients wouldn't have to leave their desk, things like that. So that really paid off. Um, And so the, you know, yeah, the, the, the motorcycle thing really, was that challenge. And then the final shoot, which I, I mentioned wasn't here. I shot that on location just because, you know, the sort of culmination of the project in my mind was to shoot a, a motorcycle club. And it took me six months to find one that was willing to, to allow me to photograph them. And I found Got this it. great group of guys down in Venice and we shot in the back of one of their businesses. So it was outside just really more for the sheer amount of people that were there and getting them all to show up to one place in one morning <laughs> in Culver City. Nice. That's so cool. No, thank you for going into detail about yeah your projects. And yeah, I think that, like you said at the beginning of this, you know, it's like if 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 you really have a passion for it, it's not work. You know, you're just creating because you you absolutely love what you're doing. So I think that's definitely necessary. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, kind of what is because you're freelance and you know you're working on all these projects and everything. What is kind of a day a typical day in the life like uh, for Ian? <laughs> uh, well, if I'm not shooting on set uh typical day is i get up 
breakfast, workout. <laughs> it's pretty much almost every day. I work out probably six or seven days a week. Um, and that takes different forms. I'm either, you know, uh, doing weights or whatever, or, you know, some days I hike and things like that, depending on the weather. Um, that's pretty typical. And then, uh, usually I try not to work during that period of time, but it's tough not to sometimes, especially if you have East coast clients. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll try to get, you know, as, as few inter in interruptions during that, you know, the one minute breaks I'll take between sets or something, but, uh, I try to focus, uh, you know, so that I'm not breaking up the workout. And then, um, often during that time, that's, that's a lot of the, the brainstorming, you know, you kind of zone out a little bit when you work out. So I, I use that time quite often to think of what am I going to do next, that kind of mm. stuff. Um, and then, you know, it's really, uh, just a matter of what's going on. I, I do retouch, as I mentioned. So quite often I have retouching projects that are ongoing, whether it's for myself, my portfolio, or for clients. Um, and the other thing I should have brought up first was the very first thing I do almost every day is to post on uh, social media. Hmm. Um, it's just become so important and it's just, you know, I had to make it part of the routine. So every day, very first thing I do is come up with the next post. I'll sometimes plan stuff out for months. Uh, I sort of went on this campaign over the last, you know, two years, I kind of spilled out everything I was going to do for a year. And then I sort of build off that at this point. Um, but I try to be, uh, you know, hitting some of the trends with the, the reels and that kind of stuff. Admittedly, I'm okay at it. I'm not great at it. it it's, you know, I, I'm sort of above that, you know, millennial, uh, I'm a little bit older than that. So, you know, for me, even though I act like I'm still a millennial, um, <laughs> you know, age wise, but uh, it, it's, it is one of those things where I figured out something that sort of works for me. And um, again, going back to that, the brand, the brand is so important at this point that you know, building off of that is something I have to do every day. I don't post on the weekends typically unless I'm working, mm -hmm. uh, just to post that I'm working, but that's it. Um, I don't use social media for personal stuff. I don't post my turkey sandwich or whatever, you know, food I'm eating and things like that. Yeah. It's always work. Um, and that's, uh, again, that's the brand. The brand is just to show what I'm up to. Um, I do have responsibilities with some of the programs that I'm an ambassador for. So that helps because that always means there's, something always to strive for, for content. I do test products for, um, for Westcott from time to time. I developed a, a modifier for them last year, which was really fun because I was doing a lot of testing with that. And um, I test out some of the, the new products that are coming from Think Tank uh, from time to time. So that uh, usually equates to me, you know, using the equipment, but also uh, shooting some images of it as well. So it's sort of, self-imposed assignments if you want to put it that way so right. i might take one of their bags and go you know uh off for a hike and then go shoot some stuff on that hike for for content for them and so you know i try to fill every day with something that will um push the brand if i have nothing that day then it's it's what what can i do to fill tomorrow because mm -hmm. i ain't gonna sit still that's really what it comes down to nice when you're making all these uh, videos and content and creating, really, do you is it all you or do you have uh, someone that you kind of work with that helps you to be able to make it? Because I mean, like you said, that's every single day, you know, Monday through Friday. That's a lot of content to be creating on your own. But I'm just curious if, yeah, if you have any help doing it. I wish I did. I don't. <laughs> it's um, it's one of those things that every so often, you know, I'll work with somebody who's like, oh, let me let me shoot something for you or let me shoot some behind the scenes. Uh, 
often on sets, like, you know, if you saw any of the behind the scenes on the Brendan Fraser shoot, my assistant, who's the same assistant I worked with on um, a big book project, you know, I had asked him to shoot BTS on anything that was interesting and he's good at it. So, nice. um, you know, situations like that, I just might hand somebody my phone and just say, Hey, just get me some stuff. Uh, if I'm working alone, uh, you'll see quite a lot of my videos. I'll just, you know, throw a time lapse on something like that. Oh. Um, I'll rig a, uh, my iPhone up against something, um, you know, or I'll just strap it to the edge of a pole or something like that. You know, so it's, it's tough. It is a lot of work and, and, you know, I had to force myself to sort of think like that. I don't think in moving images as much as I think in stills. So mm-hmm. it's it's tough for me sometimes. Um, and then, you know, you have your days where yeah, a lot's going on. You really need to focus on set. And so the thought of making a video for TikTok, it's like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> I, I don't want to, but, you know, I do understand the importance. So I try to get something as much as I possibly can. I try to get something... Um, just that I can utilize later when I can show the image. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I totally understand. It's funny. There's this, uh, you know how like there's like trending songs and stuff that are obviously on uh, Instagram, but then also probably on TikTok as well. And there's this woman that it's like, she like is humming, singing to herself, like everything is content. Everything is content. Don't forget to film it. And I feel like that song is now yes. stuck in my head. <laughs> <laughs> as a photographer and yeah if you asked me Absolutely. 10 years ago there's no way in hell it'd be like oh i got a behind the scenes photo of us all that's great or or group photo but now it's like everything is content you really do have to like keep track of it all it's nuts so yeah filming constantly it is. it's it's a little too it's a little too much yeah it's it's a little too much for sure i i mean i i wish sometimes people could see exactly what i'm seeing like i mm-hmm. i have actually bought like a little attachment for the top of the camera where you can put the phone right on top of the, the hot shoe. Uh-huh. Um, but honestly, like it, it just doesn't work. And yeah. a lot of times I can't show, I mean, sitting yeah. on that Brendan Fraser, that was tough. That, that was shot in January. And, and like, oh, wow. I had a big job with the client that I did the book project with. And he was like, how did you not tell me about this? And I was like, I couldn't, <laughs> like, mm. I had to sign something. I couldn't say what it was. And, and so it's, it's tough sometimes. And, you know, that's where I do find though that having something, even if it's just a time lapse or yeah. even just a, a seven second clip, it, it can be huge because it just I mean, as we've been seeing, you know, Instagram, nobody's really posting pictures anymore. It's it's really yeah. about the reels and how much importance is put on that it makes it tough because I personally I would just like to show the final image and, and be done with it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's a t- different world that we're living in. That's for sure. You know, my background similar to you is like, yeah, started on film and now we're here. So <laughs> doesn't even <Yeah>. matter anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure also. we'll go back to film at some point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. Well, it's crazy though, because I mean, I'm, I don't know if you do you shoot any film or not, but like now, but you know, the price of film has just gone astronomical so much so that everyone's like selling off their cameras because there's this huge influx. And then Kodak was like, yeah, one roll of film is like $20. And then you have to press process. And you're like, this is not fathomable. I mean, it, to me, then you just make art projects, right? You're really, really honing in on what you're doing. Every single frame you're taking, if you're going to shoot film, but do you shoot any film currently? I mean, there's nothing wrong. Uh, no, I, I actually sold, um, most of my film cameras a few years ago, mm-hmm. I kept my favorite, uh, which was a Roly SL66E, which was like a little, um, 
Oh my God. It's such a beautiful little camera. It's kind of like a Hasselblad, you know, top viewfinder and, uh-huh. um, bellows and everything. And, um, nice. I was sort of hoping that there would be the development of some sort of digital back for it. I've seen some people make some hack ones, but, mm. um, nothing's come up. So I've sort of held on to that. And my four by five cameras, I've kept pretty much all of those. I had a, you know, a speed graphic up on the shelf over nice. here. And, uh, I have a super D, which is, you know, the old one where you put your face down in the hood and, um, I still have some film that's sitting here. It's all outdated. It would be very interesting to see what would happen with it if I yeah. shot it. And I've sort of sat on it waiting for like the perfect assignment to come up where I'd want to shoot film. Yeah. Um, but nothing's really struck me. And I know I can sort of do it in Photoshop anyway. <laughs> so it's sort of one of those things where, you know, uh, do I want to go to the trouble of the lab and, and, you know, all the expense of all that stuff when I could just turn it right around and, and you know, post myself. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think I could ever sell the four or five. They're just, they're too precious, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. But uh, my Mamiya six, seven, which was my workhorse, I, I sold it uh, to my, one of my assistants in New York and mm. uh, I was happy to give it to him because he's very old school. He shoots with it all the time. And awesome. I know it's in, it, it's, it's being used in a great way. So it's not like it just went off to be an H and, and yeah. you know, used apartment or something. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, I'm curious kind of what have you learned about yourself being in this industry that you may not have known before? I mean, you've been doing it, like you said, your first camera is at the age of six. So it's kind of like you've always been in it, but, um, is there something specifically that you've learned about yourself that you maybe didn't know, um, prior? I think there was that period of time where, you know, I really didn't believe I could be a full-time photographer. I, I sort of looked at it as a struggle that I didn't think I could muster, you know, and, Mm. um, you know, when I say that I really fought it for a long time, you know, that, that fight was definitely there, you know, mm-hmm. even when I was definitely tired of being a photo editor and, and, you know, the reason I sort of got tired of it was that I started to get frustrated with photographers that didn't get it when I'd yeah. hire them for a job and, and, you know, not for nothing. I, I do feel like I was a good photo director. I was really, um, concise and hands-on with explaining to, uh, the photographer, the message, that was coming from the creative director or myself as far as the idea behind what they were you know, being assigned so that they would complete the assignment correctly. And as I saw things, you know, in person and, you know, um, on set, even like where things didn't work, I was, I'd, I'd be like, why are you putting the light there? Like the light should be over here, like things like that. And, and that's that frustration started to mount for me. And that's when I started to shoot a bit more. And I was fortunate that, you know, there were some people that believed in me and they gave me opportunities. And I think, you know, ultimately that's, that's what sort of floats in my head going back to what we were talking about earlier with, you know, getting to where you want to get. I do think that I'm sort of at the mercy of an opportunity at this point that Mm. it'll happen. It's just a question of the right person at the right time who decides I'm the guy that has to do this from now on kind of thing. Um, But uh, even when I came out here and then decided to go back, part of the reason I left New York was to get people to forget about me as a photo editor because Mm. that challenge that I faced of people who did not want to hire me, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was a photo editor. So when I left, I thought it would take, you know, a few months. I'll tell you right now, it took like two weeks. People forgot about me in New York. I mean, it is New York (laughs) after all. So um, (laughs) when I went back in under two years, I was sort of afraid that people would say, oh, you were the photo editor at such and such magazine. And it didn't, 
it, that didn't happen. So mm. I was happy that that was the case. And so when I, what I used to go back was the job offer from a creative director friend of mine who was at a media company and he wanted a photo editor. He wanted me to be the photo editor. And I said, listen, I have an idea. I'm not photo editing now, but hire me as your staff photographer and I'll produce the shoots that I can't physically get to. And I said, nice. we'll come up with a budget, a budget solution for you guys. You guys have very little budget, so it'll actually save you money to have me on staff, but we'll also come up with a formula to keep those costs down. And so what I ultimately did was build it where, let's say there was an assignment in Los Angeles and the price of an airplane ticket was over $400. It wouldn't be uh, worth it for me to fly to LA to do the assignment. So then I would hire somebody else to shoot it. But if they could come up with two assignments, then you could split that $400 across two assignments and then it would become less expensive helping the budget. And then boom, 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 it becomes less, you know, less of a cost um, issue. And ultimately we grew to five magazines uh, with wow. three staff photographers and I ran the photo department and that was that. And, you know, health insurance, uh, benefits, um, all those safety nets were there. Um, and when they went, surprisingly went out of business, mm. uh, at that point I was shooting more and I still didn't believe that I could do it. I, I really mm. still had my doubts. And once I had no choice, I then sort of looked at it and said, well, I've been making it as a photographer on the side without promoting myself, without trying, really just getting assignments from people that I knew and making some money, decent money. What's going to happen if I start promoting myself and start really putting myself out there? Mm -hmm. And I will tell you right now, as strange as it sounds, two th uh, this is 2009 to 2012, mm -hmm. middle of the recession, my three best years ever still to this day. Wow. And I think that all comes down to the fact that all of a sudden the door was open and I could run with it. And, you know, mm. again, the hustle was there. I, I definitely hustled like crazy back then because it was literally do or die, you know, at that point. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. That's so cool. Thank you for sharing that. Cause yeah, I think, um, it's funny. I feel like people in the freelance world definitely struggle with this idea of like, oh, why am I doing this? Should I keep doing this? You know, like, and the economy has gone up and down over the last, you know, even 10 years, 20 years now. So it's kind of like, yeah, the perseverance to keep going has to be there, you know? And like you said, I feel like you really have this idea to know how to hustle and to really want it, you know, and you really, especially in LA, like you said, you have to really want it to live here because it is not cheap. So, or who has been kind of your biggest supporter or fan uh, that has kind of kept you going through these, all these moments of like questioning your career and whether you really wanted to be a photographer and kind of keep going uh, through the ups and downs of it all? Uh, I, probably me. <laughs> I don't think I, unfortunately, I don't think I could nice. really put a, a it on anybody else. Um, I would definitely say that, you know, um, I, I don't take compliments very well. So like, even mm. if people like what I do, I, I sort of say, hey, yeah, it was good, but I know I could also do this or I, I know mm. I could be doing more, that, those kind of things. And, you know, um, I think that's part of the drive. It's sort of that never satisfied sort of feel. Um, I do feel confident in what I do and I do feel comfortable with where I'm at. And I do feel like the last um, few years in particular, I've really kind of come into my own in a lot of ways. Hmm. Um, 
but that's self-imposed. I don't really think I could, I could say anybody did that for me. Hate to say. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I think that's totally relatable. I mean, I definitely get it. I, I'm terrible at taking compliments. People would literally say like the nicest things. I'm like, mm-hmm, okay, great. Yeah. That's nice. Next, you know, like onto the next thing. Um, but yeah, I totally, I totally understand. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious kind of what are maybe some goals that you have for the next maybe three to five years or even 10 years from now? Because, you know, as you've shared throughout this entire interview, you know, you've really kind of been the one to kind of like keep pressing forward and not, you know, satisfied with what you've just done. I mean, I think the ultimate goal for me has always been to be shooting more for the networks. Um, okay. And it's a tremendous challenge out here. As I sort of mentioned earlier, the, 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 the assessment that I've done is pretty much that it's the same people shooting everything. And everybody tells me that too. And, um, the road to getting in is, is very murky and unclear <laughs> exactly how that happens. Yeah. Um, and I, I'd like to say that's the goal, but at the same time, it might be a goal that I just can't see at this point in that, mm. um, maybe it takes its shape differently than what I think it is. Um, maybe I even get those assignments that I think I want and it's not the right assignment for me. I don't know. Um, mm. I sort of feel like I've done it in pieces, uh, but just not all the time. Um, I have a lot of confidence that I could be doing that stuff, what I think it is, but, uh, I've yet to meet the person that believes the same and, and wants to give me those opportunities to do it. So ultimately for me, this career in a whole is more about longevity than anything else. And that's something that I would say has been the thought from very early on that it's more important to me that I outlast the others in terms of a consistency that sort of becomes timeless. If you want to put it that way, mm-hmm. I'm not big on the flash in the pan lighting styles or, or, you know, color styles or, or, you know, you, you, I'm sure you remember that, you know, the blue and red gel thing that happened for you know, a yeah. minute there, everybody was doing it all of a sudden and you had to have it in your portfolios. And even today I've had, you know, portfolio meetings where, uh, particularly agents will say, Oh, well, you know, this, this kind of look is happening right now. I think you should put that in your book. And, I, and the minute they say that, I'm like, you'll never be my agent because <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is that you look at a Richard Avedon and the reason those images still work is because it's, it's got a quality and a timelessness to it. You could still look at it, take it apart as a photographer and say, oh, well, this was done wrong or um, this could be done better or maybe the light wasn't right on this one. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter because it, it's still timeless, you know, yeah. and I'll take that any day over a hot, trendy look for the minute because yeah. that stuff's ne- never is going to last. Um, so I, I've thought about the goal thing for quite a while because it it frustrates me that I haven't necessarily done all those assignments that I want to be doing regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, and sort of taking, taking a different look at it now, more from the idea that, you know what, if I'm still working five, 10 years from now, then there's, there's some check mark of success in that, that might supersede the idea of necessarily doing those jobs a b and c that you think you should be doing because the fact is that you know um i do know my worth you know there's jobs that i won't take because the budget's too low things like that but i try my damnedest to make it make it always work 
You know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll ask clients quite often, what's your budget? I will tell you straight up if I can make it work, you know, and if I can make it work, I'll make it work. My uh, kind of advice that I give to, to assistants quite often is, or young photographers, um, is if you take the job the next day, you should be satisfied with what you made. If you take it and you took 200 bucks and you're pissed at yourself on the next day because you took 200 bucks to do a job that you really should have gotten paid four or six or a thousand, then you didn't, you shouldn't have taken that job. So I sort of use that as my own meter that if I do a job that's really tight budget, really not what it should be, I'm still going to bring the level of quality as if it was 10 times the budget, but I still have to be satisfied internally with what I accepted as the fee for the day and be okay with that. So you know, I, I sort of thought about that in terms of where I want to be and where I'm trying to get at mm-hmm. and thought, well, you know what, if I've got five or 10 more years of doing these jobs, but I'm still getting paid something and I'm satisfied with what I'm getting paid, then I'm still working as a professional photographer. What's, what's to be upset about that? That's a unique situation that I should be happy with. Yeah. No, you, not only did you answer my first question, but you answered my next question, which was, yeah, what advice would you give to a young photographer or assistant? And yeah, no, I think that's, that's a hundred percent true. It's like, how do you feel after you're doing this job? Because money comes and goes, right? But like, yeah, do you feel like you're, you, it, you created value and it was worthwhile for you to do the job? Or do you feel like, wow, I really shouldn't have done that because it was, I got taken advantage of, or it was really not worth my while. So absolutely. It's that constant battle. Yeah. And um, you're going to, you're going to have those experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're going to have those experiences where you do kick yourself and there's nothing wrong with that because it's a lesson learned. Um, and now you know not to do it again. I mean, the, it's the definition of insanity. If you keep doing it, obviously that's definition of insanity moment. But, um, uh, you know, the other thing I would say is, you know, going to what you asked about the assistants. Um, I tell this to assistants all the time and, and I always kind of can see the, the flicker in the eye when they're not listening to it. But um, the biggest thing I, I always say is, is that if you're assisting me, for example, you owe yourself a day, a day of doing something for yourself, whether it's a shoot, a retouch or uh, changing a, a portfolio or trying a different style, something that propels you forward if you know maybe you can't foresee that your goal is to not be assisting in a year but if you pay yourself back for the days that you work for somebody else where you you know i mean it's the unfortunate position of the assistant you literally don't get anything out of that day other than experience and a couple of bucks and usually underpaid in my opinion so um you know, and, and that sometimes is beyond the control of the photographer. You know, it might be the budget's too low, but you're willing to take the job for the day. So you're working, you're getting the experience, whatever the case is. But if you don't pay yourself back with uh, your own experience, then you're doing yourself a disservice if your goal is to move forward as a photographer of your own right. So um, it's frustrating to me to watch assistants who don't listen to that because I think that's the most important thing. And it's something I started doing as a photo editor where I would go and be on set for a magazine, watching a photographer do a shoot that I knew I could do. Mm. Even if I didn't know the equipment at that period of time. Um, but I sat and watched that photo shoot and then I would go home and I would do, I would do a setup of how I would do it. And so I would then teach myself, this is how you would do it. If you do it. And then the next assignment that came up to me, then I would use that in my sort of you know bag of tricks of lighting. Mm, wisdom. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. You have to, 
yeah, you have to be able to pay it to yourself. You know, if you're doing one thing, but you really want to go after this other thing, then yeah, give yourself that opportunity to do it. Um, so this is a fun question. I always ask, uh, what would you say to your future self 15 years from now? It's almost like a message in the bottle, right? Like what would you want to say to yourself in 15 years from now? Oh God. <laughs> On anything or am I now on being a photographer? <laughs> on life, on photography, however you feel. Like almost words of encouragement or whatever, however you feel you'd like to phrase it. Oh, boy. Uh, learn more about investing and business. I think that it, it kills me. It absolutely kills me that, well, first off, photography in my college, I went to a liberal arts college. I didn't want to transfer because I, I was done with school after two years in my mind. Um, I was ready to go work. I, you know, once I did that internship at GQ, I was like, this is where the real world is and, and screw yeah. college. Um, but I felt the need to finish. Um, but there was, I mean, we had 35 millimeter cameras, didn't shoot color, didn't have any lights. We had two silver reflectors from Home Depot. That That's what we had for lights with 60 watt wow. bulbs. That is it. And did not learn color photography, all that stuff. So I had to teach myself all that stuff after college. Um, but literally no business classes. And um, I have an acquaintance who's the uh, the chair of the FIT photo department. And I've, okay. I've gone and spoken for him a few times. And we were talking one day after a lecture that they offer business classes for photographers, uh, the photography students there. And he says, you know, the kids don't care. They just, they're glazed over the whole time. And I'm like, and he's a, he's a photographer himself. And, and he and I were talking about the fact that my God, if they had that when we were coming up, like to at least know how to run a business, like, you know, I learned most of it from the magazine stuff, thank God, but I don't know anything. I mean, I worked at three business magazines that were all, I mean, I was photographing some of the like richest guys in New York and other places. I didn't learn a goddamn thing about investing. And I mean, I kick myself or like, I literally just fall asleep the minute they start talking about stuff. But yeah. I wish I had paid attention to that stuff. And I wish there was opportunity uh, at the time that I could have learned more about that because maybe it would have made those tough times easier. Maybe it would have uh, made some of the, the experiences that you, you know, the mistakes that you make as you're coming up to avoid those mistakes. Maybe it would put you in a position financially where you have an understanding of what to do with your money when you do have a big job and how to, you know, pay it, you know, use it to, to push forward in your career. And, uh, I've had to just piece that all together and still do, you know, it, it's, it's tough. Um, so yeah, maybe that would, that would probably be the area that uh, lacks the most. You can always learn about a new camera, but business stuff, oof, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I think the <clears throat> majority of photographers, you know, you see the artistry of it and you don't necessarily see the business side of it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're freelance or if you're incorporated or whatever. It's like, it is business. You know, we're not doing this for, you know, tiddlywinks and fun. It's, <laughs> it's money in, money out. And yeah, you have to treat it as such because all your clients are going to do the exact same thing. They're going to treat it like business. So yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. I'm curious, do you have a motto uh, that you are or a phrase that you kind of live by as you're like, your go-to? Yeah. You know, uh, one of the most fortunate things, and, and I've told this story a few times, so, um, <laughs> it's out there somewhere, but, uh, <laughs> I was fortunate in my first like couple weeks at GQ to meet Harry Benson, the, um, photographer that came to America with the Beatles and he's photographed every president from Eisenhower to Trump. Um, I kind of 
liken him to like the where's Waldo of history. Like he, he literally has been through history, all these amazing experiences. Um, so if you don't know his work, please, you know, check it out because it's, it's pretty amazing. And I became friends with Harry very quickly. Um, and, you know, assigned him, I actually got to assist him once, which was really cool. So I got to do a road trip with him and, and do the lighting for him. And he used to, um, he used to take me out to lunch and he would tell me stories about, you know, this or that. And a lot of his experiences and so many of those stories he told me ended up influencing me, uh, as a photographer, uh, from one case where he, he had like a quick story I'll tell you, which is that, you know, he was in the kitchen when Robert Kennedy got shot at the ambassador hotel in LA. So the whole crowd started pushing into the kitchen and Harry's with the crowd and they're bringing Kennedy back into the kitchen. They lay him down on the floor. Harry jumps up on the table. He's taking pictures. And there's a very famous picture of Ethel Kennedy holding her hand up to the camera. That's, that's Harry's picture. Hmm. And he was telling me how he was shooting a couple frames and then taking the film out of the camera and shoving it into his socks because he saw the FBI agents around the room and he didn't want them taking his film. Right. And the reason for that was that he was on assignment. Okay. Mm. So I'm going to come back to that in a second. Fast forward uh, to, you know, 2007, I'm in Detroit photographing this guy who wrote a book about um, rebuilding fortune 500 companies from the ground up. So mm-hmm. these are fortune 500, you know, big, big companies that have failed and this guy is an expert on taking what they did wrong and then rebuilding them. So I had this idea of photographing him at a, uh, a junkyard outside of Detroit. Mm-hmm. And now this is the middle of February. It's freezing cold. His bodyguard was a um, photography fan. So he um, voluntarily said, I'll find you a location. So I flew yeah. in, jump, jump off the plane, drive out, meet him at this junkyard and we're shooting out there. It's it's like seven in the morning. It's freezing cold. And I just finished taking this image of him with like a, a bunch of scrapyard material behind him. And I was like, I knew I had the shot. Um, all of a sudden, four giant trucks pull up, block our cars in, and these gigantic construction guys start walking over to us. The minute I see them, I was shooting digital. I pulled mm-hmm. the card out and I shoved it in my underwear. And sure enough, the the biggest of the guys comes up to me, and I'm only five five, so I'm not a big guy. Uh, and he puts his hand right on my my the barrel of my lens, and he's just holding it. And they straight up were like, "What are you doing here?" And I was very honest. I said, "You know, we're actually done. I was just taking a portrait. This uh, magazine from New York sent me out here to do this." They were like, there's no way a magazine sent you to Detroit to take a picture. Who does that? What magazine sends photographers to other states? And I was like, oh, boy, this is going to be tough. Um, And the bodyguard decided rather than, you know, be polite and nice, he's going to get in a fight with them. So he was mouthing off to them and on and on and on. The idea for shoving the card into my underwear was straight out of that story from Harry. Okay. Mm. Ultimately, they let us go. They took our information. I don't know what they're going to do with it, like driver's license numbers and all that stuff. But ultimately, we left, and that was that. Um, but the the lesson in it was really that Harry kind of repeated this story. You know, if you know Harry, he, he would tell you the same story a number of times. But there, I think there was a wisdom behind it because 
he would say, your job as the photographer is to get the job done. And Harry has a very distinct voice. If you ever get the chance to watch, um, there's a movie about him. It's called uh, Just Shoot This, I think, something like that. Mm -hmm. It it used to be on Netflix. I think they moved it over. Yeah. So he's got a very high-pitched voice and a Scottish accent. So it's a very unique voice. As I can still hear it in my head. He's kind of, he kind of turned into like a third grandfather to me in a lot of ways. And he would always just say, you know, Ian, your job is to get the job done. That repeats in my head all the time. Mm-hmm. I literally hear that on every single job that I do. And it's just one of those things that there is no excuse you know, when you're on a job, there's no point in calling the editor who's sitting at their desk, whether it's 3,500 miles away or three miles away, um, or if they're there for that sake. Your job is to make sure you get the job done. And that's the most important thing. So I think that would probably be the thing that I would say is the one advice piece that that's, has stuck with me throughout my whole career. Incredible. Wow, that is a really good story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think it is is it is definitely uh yeah, a responsibility as photographers and as yeah, as creatives to get the job done. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, that actually kind of wraps it up. Uh the only thing I ask is kind of where can people find you both online and social media? Um and if there was anything else that uh you wanted to to share before we close out, then please. Thanks. Uh well, my website is ianspanier.com. And, um, Instagram is probably the best place to reach me. It's at Ian Spanier. Um, I do, as you know, Alan put, uh, a ton of tips and tricks about this and that, that I do. Um, I love share- sharing the stories behind the shoot. Uh, so I do put a lot of stuff up there for anybody who's looking to learn. Um, I do a number of appearances. Usually there, uh, I do a lot of live demos of lighting and things like that. This one will be, um, about, uh, everything I do from shoot to finish. So it'll start off with the pre, uh, shoot plan, uh, take you through the shoot and then, uh, the post work as well. So this is really everything all in one space. So just, you know, if you follow me, you'll see me posting about, uh, whatever appearances I have coming up. And then, uh, if you get a chance, I just finished a, uh, huge book for Asseline publisher, uh, along with Aaron Sigmund books. And thank you. Um, it's all about, uh, the Arturo Fuente cigar company. Um, the book is uh, gigantic. It's a thousand dollar book. They only make wow. a certain number of copies of it. Uh, yeah, so it's pretty special. Um, they're going to do a smaller edition of it, um, with actually more pictures, which is kind of amazing. Uh, that's going to be packaged with, uh, a limited edition of cigars as well. So that's, uh, forthcoming awesome. soon, but the book, the book just came out. Um, uh, so if you look at Asseline.com and you look up my name, you'll see the, the book it's called Arturo Fuente from 1912. And we shot over 15 months, um, literally everything from seed to final package and, um, all the aspects about the, the family and the business, um, traveling to the Dominican twice, along with trips to New York and Michigan to complete the rest of it. Uh, everything from still life to portrait <laughs> and travel uh, is everything I shot. So um, it, it was a really fun project. And, if, you know, we talk about the culmination of things. That That's a great example of a situation where somebody used me to every aspect of what I do. And, and you know, we challenged ourselves with lighting on location and 
um, minimal equipment and all sorts of fun things like that. So it was, it was a great experience and, you know, I'm super humbled by the, um, the size of the book <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, we'll see how successful it is. Amazing. Do you at least get a copy of it? Cause I mean, that sounds like an amazing piece to have. I did. It was in my contract that I would receive one copy uh, of the big book. Um, I don't know because I, I am contracted to get the small book as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be interested to see if they send it with the cigars or not. Um, I'm not a huge <laughs> cigar smoker anymore, but uh, certainly have, I've shared a few uh, <laughs> but and enjoy them. Uh, so we'll see if I get the cigars too. But um, uh, yeah, the, the book is actually sitting right behind me. I, I haven't unboxed it yet because it comes mm. with gloves and everything. It's like a real wow. collector's piece. And I'm not so sure I want it on my coffee table. <laughs> I'm not sure where I want to store it so that it's protected. So uh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ian. Um, I really appreciated all your time, all the stories that you shared. And yeah, I'll definitely be putting links down below for everything um, in the show notes and whatnot so people can check out your work. And yeah, please go check out Ian's Instagram. You can learn so much about photography and the the products and everything that he does, uh, as well as seeing all the cool behind the scenes. So um, yeah, thank you very much. I really appreciate it and uh, hope to work with you soon. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate your time on this. I, I remember when you had told me you do this, I was like, oh, that's so amazing. And, and I would love to do it at any time. So uh, if you ever need me back, feel free to call anytime. And uh, yeah, for sure. Let's get, a, let's get on set again together. Thank you so much for watching and listening to this week's episode of the Creative Lotus Podcast. And a huge thank you to Ian for all of his amazing stories. This week's Buddhist quote of the week is, Buddhism teaches that nothing happens by chance. Everything has meaning. Please be convinced that your inner life is already endowed with everything you need. No matter how difficult your situation may be, you are alive now, and there is no treasure more precious than life itself. By Daisaku Ikeda. What is up, Creative Lotus family? Thank you so much for supporting the Creative Lotus Podcast. Go ahead and follow us on social media. On Facebook, we're at the Creative Lotus Podcast. Here on YouTube, maybe you're watching, we're at the Creative Lotus Podcast as well. And on Instagram, we're at the Creative Lotus Pod. And my personal handle is at Alan Zaki. We say thank you once again. Go ahead and subscribe, listen, write a review. And until the next episode, we'll see you there. Have a wonderful day and stay safe. Bye-bye.